0: You know, it's twenty twenty four. Is whether
1: they're going to be this year's or last year's? It's activated, but we need to get it motivated. And he told me just look at the data, separate it out, and we let's start with the word "curative." we yeah. could first go for it. So
0: it's Missouri, and I got to admit that's probably been one of the drier areas yeah. that uh, of the state, and yet here we have got tar spots show up in the last week. There. The bump is real. So, welcome to
2: the MFA Made for Agriculture Podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine.
3: Hi right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And today we're, we're covering kind of a timely, back to a normal episode today, we're covering kind of a timely agronomy topic. Um, we talk a lot about kind of that in-season, in-field management, right? We want to manage that growing crop. Um, through the season, so I like taking kind of deep dives into, into certain growing periods or or certain time frames um, of our crop as we're growing it across our t- trade territory. So today uh, we're definitely going to do that kind of deep dive. Um, I always I know I always say that uh, this because I I'm the one that typically lines up the guests, but we've got the right people in the room, right? So <laughs> um, I'll say that again today. We've got the right people in the room uh, to talk about kind of that mid to late season uh, crop management and corn and soybeans. Um, we're going to go into some other things as well. Uh, but in the room with us, um, we've got Brian Norton and Brandon Nystrom, uh, both with Syngenta. So why don't you guys kind of give us a little b- uh, background biography and kind of what your role with, with Syngenta
0: is? Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate appreciate the opportunity to be here with you guys today. So Brian Norton, Agronomic Service Representative with Syngenta Crop Protection. i uh, been with the company going on about 28 years now, working in eastern Kansas as well as the state of Missouri uh, from a technical and agronomy standpoint. So I've got five sales reps that I support that, that cover that geography and uh, working a lot with our new products and agronomic training and training of our customers, work very closely with MFA and appreciate the opportunity to be here today.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Yep. Brandon Nystrom, um, same sort of role as Brian here, ASR. Work here out of uh, Columbia, Missouri, manage the Columbia Gromore site, um, have a unique role too where I have a little bit of sales territory up in north central Missouri and then cover kind of the northeast portion of the state. Um, have some unique opportunities to partner with MFA and gives us unique insight to just being able to um, work together and come up with agronomic solutions. So appreciate you guys having us on.
3: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate both of you guys being here today. So um, the the first thing I want to know, and and you mentioned it, Brandon, uh, you you guys have what you call grow more sites. Um, I believe you both manage one. So uh, for folks that don't know, kind of tell me what that looks like, what that means in your world, um, and kind of what you guys want to set up for for folks to see at those those sites.
1: Yeah, I can I can go first, Brian. Uh, so. I have a site here in Columbia, Missouri, uh, just south of town. Um, hopefully some of you folks have been to it before, but we've got about eight acres and really it was kind of my first introduction. I've been with Syngenta three years now. It was kind of my first introduction to um, to Syngenta and getting a look at it with my predecessor who, uh, who managed that site. And it's kind of, was really what inspired me to come over to Jenna and just to get a chance to be out in the field and see all the trials and all the programs and everything that was going on out there. Um, there's a combination of things we do. There's, um, part of it is education. Part of it is, we'll call it research. Is that fair, Brian? Uh, and then part of it's uh, maybe even just some goof plots where we're trying to learn and put kind of, um, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We're trying to experiment and bring what we talk about with customers customers to life. And so from bare ground trials to fungicide to seed care, it's a little bit of everything. And we can tailor those conversations we have in the field to the specific grower. And and, and honestly, each year is a little bit different. Um, Each year we have different things to talk about out there. It seems like uh, we just met with our team this afternoon to go over some events and planning and future things we're looking at. Uh, and it's a unique experience because as the weather changes and as timing changes and products change, there's always something to talk about. So it's a great educational opportunity for me. I learn from it. It's how I've trained myself um, and it's how I've, I've had Brian help train me on on products and everything out there as well. So it's a unique experience. Yeah,
0: that's a a big thing. We call them grow more experiences. And to me, those are really two different things. Grow more. So obviously, how do we grow more bushels? Mm -hmm. How do we help customers grow more bushels of corn and and soybeans? How do we work with our retail partners to help uh, communicate that message and, and showcase the opportunity to grow more bushels? And with that, it's an experience. So you mentioned research. I think of it more of a demo plots. Uh, where we get to get out them and experience how the products work. So it's a good opportunity to not only look at agronomics, but even Syngenta's product line, uh, some of the competitive comparison standards that are in these blocks, and and look at even new products that we're bringing to the marketplace. Maybe giving a grower or retailer an opportunity to gain confidence on a new product before they have to pay their hard-earned money uh, to use that product on their farm. Yeah,
3: yeah. No, and I I would agree with what you're saying. I, I know from a from a personal experience, it's one thing to you know look at little pictures of stuff on the back of some one pager, right? It's it's different when you can kind of touch it and feel it, um, like like what you guys are dealing with. Um, so tell me about kind of what what you've got going out there um, at your all sites for this year, and then maybe um, I know we've had some weather challenges in certain places, so not not exactly sure. Well, I know where yours is at, Brandon, but um, you can kind of tell me maybe what what you've seen, uh, maybe because of those weather challenges this year.
0: Yeah, when you start, so Brandon's got the site here in Columbia, Missouri. Yep. I've got a what I call a sister site, so it's very similar site down yep. in Iola, Kansas, so southeast Kansas. Similar size and scope protocols are, are pretty similar, but they do, are written, protocols are written to match our local uh, cultural practices and agronomics uh, from a planting date standpoint, spraying date standpoint, that kind of thing. So it, it is interesting and neat um, to look at these products perform in different weather environments, for an example. So you think about this current year, even in Iola, we were very dry, May through June. And you compare that and contrast that to last year, and you got a chance to look at products in April and May when we were pretty wet. Mm -hmm. So how does the same product perform under different characteristics? And you begin to see the, the real qualities of that product. Plus we get an opportunity to look at products uh, most of our work is done in 10 foot wide blocks, 60 to 80 feet long, so we get an opportunity to look at one product right next to another product, uh, 10 50 feet away, and get to compare how those products work and, and perform. Uh, one, of the, one of the real popular things is the, is the herbicide bare ground trials. There's no better way to compare herbicide treatment than to spray it 10 feet wide by 60 foot long. Don't plant any crop out there for shading benefit and right. maybe throw some wheat seed out there, too, just to see how, <laughs> yeah. how it works. And that's really popular with a lot of folks to come out and look at different products and,
1: and, and how they perform this is also how we train our folks internally too, is we, we get them a chance to go out there and you mentioned, you know, kind of getting to see things in the field and sure. I'm a visual learner. So, you know, you show me a slide and you tell me, hey, product XYZ is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I may say, yeah, that's great, but it's not going to really hit home until we actually can visualize that in the field. And So when you get someone out there who can visualize that in the field, like maybe you're building a product, you've, you've got a pre-mixed product that you're building with a single AI next to the single AI load, and maybe there's two or three in there and you show how, one herbicide is catching you know certain weed species versus the other one that maybe not and catching a different set of weeds that, that's a really neat story how you can build products onto that and so we use that for training i train myself every i learned something about every time i go out there we went out there today had been a week and i was already picking up things and i was like wow i hadn't seen that before so mm-hmm. it's a it's a unique opportunity and uh, it's it's how we learn
0: well that's we get to see them in the real, real life scenarios yeah. mentioned it's been pretty dry
1: now and i have we, there's a lot of residual
0: herbicides used in the, in the Missouri geography, yep. Eastern Kansas geography. And uh, unfortunately, to make uh, residual herbicides work well, we need adequate rainfall and, and consistent adequate rainfall, something we haven't gotten a lot of this year. So you get sometimes questions about, wow, why would I even invest my money in that residual herbicide? I don't think it did me any good. This is an opportunity where we've got uh, untreated check Right next to a treatment, Do they, does the treatment look beautiful? No, probably not. Yeah. Not this year. Yeah. Uh, but compared to the
1: untreated, it's a significant incre- uh, decrease in weed pressure. Correct. Okay. Can I give a specific example there too? Just it's Something we looked at today, um, because as Brian said, we've really struggled and in parts of the state, uh, you know, with herbicide act- activation and, mm. or what do they say? They say it's it's activated, but we need to get it motivated, I think is what I was told this spring. So, <laughs> uh, but at the at the Gromor site here in Columbia this year, we put the residuals down. We didn't get an activating rain for about 10 days afterwards. So when we finally did get that activating rain, there were a few little weeds coming up. Uh, what I did was in a 60 foot block, I went ahead and sprayed Liberty herbicide, post on 30 foot of that block and kind of cleared it up a little bit, recharged those that, that side of the, of the plot. And the difference we're seeing between when the herbicides got activated on both sides of those blocks and the size of the weed and the scope of the weeds is quite incredible. And it tells a powerful story in how we talk about residuals and just the, the overall message there. So we're really excited to share that message with folks this summer, um, as, as they come out and join us. Gotcha.
2: Yep. Yeah, and I would say, um, from my perspective, what I would say, think, you know, I've worked with uh, Brian and Brandon both for a long time on these Grow More sites, and um, Brett before Brandon was there. And, um, you know, we've been a good partner with Syngenta, they've been a good partner with us, um, we've helped them out on the Grow More site, but also they've helped us out at our replicated sites that we've talked about here on the podcast before, and the nice thing, I feel like they complement each other really well. So we've talked about our plots where we do a lot of trial and research testing to make sure products, you know, that we wanna bring in for us. Um, There's, like Brian said, there's a lot of demo stuff. Um, And from our perspective, we don't do a lot of herbicide work just because that's not our forte. We're trying to uh, look at products that are working. And so being able to go and experience those bare ground studies, those herbicide trials that they're putting out there, Is really beneficial like brandon just mentioned and also last year the same um when we think about some of these residuals that are really are dependent on water their water solubility and being able to see the difference of hey when you have moisture when you don't have moisture and how that makes an impact um those are some stories that don't get necessarily told all the time out in the field unless you can see them so that's what that's one of the great things i think from the grow more from the years i've been going there
0: well, and you start looking for consistency, right, Cameron? Is it last year's weather? You know, is 2024's weather going to be this year's or last year's? You tell me. We can't really know that. So, that's one of the things when we start thinking about building consistently performing products for the Missouri market, um, things like Acuron herbicide for corn, layering in multiple sites of action, multiple active ingredients with different physical properties to try to be more consistent. So, we do appreciate your guys' help, both at Columbia and at I- Iola. You guys are very much involved in both those sites.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know they're neat places, and I know um, just from my short amount of experience in helping Cameron or working around our uh, small plot research stuff, uh, those sites. I don't. Want, I don't care if you want to call it research or demo. It's expensive, uh, is what it is. <laughs> and so, um, and you just from a from an educational aspect and and the ability for you guys to 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 get folks out there to to see agronomic decisions as they happen, um, I definitely appreciate that that commitment. Um, I, I guess other than and you may have already spilled the beans as far as, uh, taking a look at the residuals and in, in the, you know, the herbicide residuals in the, in the dry weather that we've had, but I was going to ask you kind of what, what's one trial or one demo that you're super excited about for this year?
1: No, well, it's hard to pick just one. That's like picking out a favorite candy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, I guess for me, you know, I always really enjoy the, like, the, the bare grounds are where we, that's our bread and butter and where we just make a lot of our products. So starting from scratch, um, just walking through, even we'll just take like the group 15s, for example, you think of group 15 herbicides. um, Some folks, I think, think of them as just all one and the same thing. But when you can show differences and moisture plays a big role in that, and it shows in a year where you don't have a lot of it, you have some of those group 15 herbicides are going to perform at a different level than others on different weed species versus a wet year. So I can go back three years ago and look at the pictures I have from then and in a wet situation versus a dry year like this and, and it changes each year. So. Mm-hmm. I think me being able to connect with people on that level to show, hey, there's there's key differences in, in all of this. And then how we build that out is, as uh, Brian had alluded to, with like building an Acuron herbicide pr- platform um, and even some of the newer products we'll talk about here in a bit. That, that's where it's a lot of fun for me is to show what each individual ingredient is bringing to the market and then how it reacts in, in a certain environment. So that's,
0: that's what I'm looking forward to. So so at Iowa, Kansas, we've got a little bit of a new marketplace in that we'll have an early bean market. You know, some guys will plant beans in April through first part of May. Mm -hmm. But there's also a pretty heavy double double crop soybean market as well, where they're not planting soybeans until uh, mid to late June. So uh, we've got a new uh, seed treatment for soybeans called Scruiser Max Apex that we launched this year. And getting to see that product perform because we have early planted soybeans at the site, mm-hmm. and as well as in a double crop soybean perspective. So um, that's been probably the, the the demo for me. That's been the most uh, well attended, and folks are interested in seeing is no matter which time frame they're planting those beans to get that type of early season vigor, mm-hmm. better stand improvement uh, out of that product. So, yeah. and then we do other things there there too um, around agronomics. So we try to do some planner. Uh, demos relative to population and depth and speed and uh, you want to get some growers uh, invested in a period of time sure. at a demo, do something with the planner. Yeah. Uh, it seems yeah. like that's been a very popular stop as well. Sure, because that's
3: touchy feeling and it's something that that they can really resonate with, right? I mean, um, we can have herbicide conversations. We all love those, but from a grower perspective, right, that's more in your all's hands. That's more in our hands as far as as what's going out there. Um, when you start talking about the planner and those mechanical things that I can turn a wrench and adjust and, and do those kind of things, it's like, Oh, well, Hey, I can actually, I can go home and make a change in 20 minutes and, and have an effect, you know, that I can see here. So.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I'll add to that too, is it's not, it, it, obviously we are showcasing Syngenis product portfolio, but it's not solely just hey, let's just give a big sales pitch here. We're, we're sure. focusing on a whole systems approach here. What's working overall? Um, you know, the whole message of overlapping residuals. We have post-timing studies. We have, you know, start from the ground up, from, like Brian said, from seed treatment trials all the way to populations and so on and so forth. So it's not just only Syngenta products out there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'd say that that's a pretty, that's interesting that you chose the, the seed treatment study to, to kind of highlight because that's always a, I guess fallacy may be the correct term that, that as you get later in the season, you don't need seed treatment um, or, or that seems to I don't even know where that originated, I guess, but that seems to be the mo- you it know, kind of seems to be the theme that you yeah. hear out there.
0: Well, you make sense. So if you think about it from a seed treatment perspective, you're really managing early season seedling diseases, right?. Sure. And the longer that soybean is in that seedling stage, the more susceptible it is to those diseases. Early planted, cooler conditions, it's in that stage a lot longer. So Mm -hmm. it's more susceptible to a greater period of time. So people think, oh, I need that early planted bean, needs a good seed treatment on it. But really, what we're talking about here is the disease triangle. And we can understand that different soil-borne diseases like different environments. Some like warmer soils, Rhizactonia, Mm -hmm. for an example. It's one that we see coming on quite often in our double-crop soybeans and and can be detrimental. And we still need to protect against it.
3: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And the diseases, I guess, are soil biology, right? I mean, diseases are biology just like good stuff is biology. And so as the soil warms up, I mean, I guess one would one would think you're going to have at least some of the same or more levels of disease, more levels of that kind of that pathogen in there. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And I've planted beans late before that weren't treated. We won't go into that, but I won't do that again. So <laughs> well, if you think you want to, come out to the Grow More site. Yeah. I'll show you what No, not yeah. so, no I, sure. I did it once and learned my lesson, so <laughs> we're good there. <laughs> um Guys, uh, anything else on the Grow More side? I want to get into kind of the, of, of a fungicide discussion today and, and talk a little bit about what's going on out there in the landscape and, and kind of use of products for, for this year. Anything else
0: on the Grow More side of things you guys want to talk about? Well, if you are one of your local MFA retailers, locations out there, or even a grower out there that's interested in seeing the Grow More side, get a hold of your local in a Rep. We'd be glad to walk you through that. Um, to know, no matter what time of the year, I always say it, if there's a crop growing, we got something to show. Yeah. Because um, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about fungicides. Some of that stuff, some of those plots, those demos don't really show up well until you get into August and September. Sure. So there's always something to see at these grow more sites. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for that. So um, I guess to, to kind of kick off a, a fungicide discussion, um, and, and you can use product names or you can talk about kind of modes of action. Um, but I think a good starting point might be to just kind of talk about um, trends in fungicide use. I mean, obviously increasing, um, in both corn and soybeans. Um, so, so kind of tell me about, uh, a modern fungicide product, um, kind of what it contains and what we're putting it out there trying to accomplish. That's a, that's a, that's, a, that's a key up for about a two-hour answer. I think oh, that's but. a lot. That's a big
0: question for Brian Norton. Yeah. So, Cameron, I was just sitting here thinking. I just have a, I got a two hundred slide PowerPoint slide presentation just yeah. on this exact topic. I'm sure so, you do. Hang on, we just, set, we just set him up to be here for nine yeah. o'clock. Let me pull that thing up. Uh, you know, the fun part with, with uh, Syngenta and the innovation that we've got with around products mm-hmm. is been working with fungicides twenty seven, twenty eight years now. And if I look back to some of the technologies that we were using 20 plus years ago, in a lot of cases, trizol type technology, which was really good for for helping manage diseases, stopping diseases once they got started. If you want to think about it that way, usually short lived um, in the plant, short residual. But if you had a disease outbreak, they would usually give you a yield response of some sort. The problem is we don't always have a disease outbreak, talking about the disease triangle, right? right. The conditions aren't always right. So then as we move through time, uh, we begin to bring a lot of strobilarans into the row crop marketplace. Uh, products like Quadris, so fungicide, or even headline fungicide from BASF. Um, and those longer lasting residuals, more preventative type products, uh, but did give you some pretty good residual. The other component that they begin to give is this concept of plant health. So efficiency within the plant of water, nutrients, that kind of thing. And when you do that, your consistency of performance goes up because you can sometimes get a yield improvement, uh, or at least a quality improvement of the crop, even if there's not a lot of disease pressure. Okay. And so your consistency goes up. Then we started pairing those together, triazoles plus strobilurins. And now here, most recently, the industry over the last seven or eight years has gone through the introduction of, of SDHIs. That's the, third mode of action that we deal with. SDHIs are really not new to the industry, but they are new with the new active ingredients we're bringing out. Much more broad spectrum in their performance, long-lasting traditionally, uh, at least the ones that, that Syngenta has in the Miravis fungicide brand and Pro, and also bringing some of that plant health. So a year like this year, for an example, I get a phone call from Northwest Missouri where they've had quite a little bit of moisture. Typically, moisture equals disease pressure. Um, you, can, you can bank on whether that be a Trivipro fungicide application to corn or a Miravis top fungicide application to soybeans. We're going to help manage some diseases. and gets hopefully some quality and yield improvement there from mm-hmm. that. But if that phone call is coming from Northeast Missouri, and I think where you're from, yeah. it's been a little more challenging, right? A little mm-hmm. less moisture potentially. Less moisture typically then means less disease pressure. And so you wanna have confidence that you're gonna get a good return on investment from making that fungicide application. And that's why choosing a product that maybe gives you plant health or long residual can be really important to help do that. For an example, Triva Pro at that VTR1 timing on corn, we're looking at 78% of the time a positive return on investment. Uh, Miravis top on soybeans, At that R2 to R3 timing, looking at over 90% positive return on investment using our in-house data trial set that we're looking at. Um, So that brings a lot of confidence then that I'm going to invest in my crop, Mm -hmm. dry conditions, wet conditions, disease or no disease, and have a good likelihood for return on investment versus where we were 25 years ago using just a triazole, for example. And if you got a disease, it would help. But if you didn't have high disease
1: pressure, you may not see that that bone. He's weren't doing bonus. much, I guess. That's yeah. right. Yeah, That's right. yeah. I'll go. I'll go back. Just I don't have the experience that Brian does, which uh, me calling him having experience is not calling him old. I will, <laughs> but I am. I yeah. will call him short. I won't call him old. <laughs> but but um, just I was a seeds agronomist before I took over this role with Syngena. and I, I remember when Pro was launched actually, and we had some heavy southern rust pressure. And even back then, I remember being kind of we'll call it on the Trivapro train and how that message was being relayed and the successes we were seeing and and I think I don't have a percentage as far as what the market share has grown in terms of fungicide use but it is absolutely you know it, it is it is ex- exponentially went up in the last 5 to 7 years and I think a lot of that has coincided with that technology that Brian's talking about being launched with such as a product like its like its Trivapro fungicide so um, the success is there in terms of People that are adapting it into their their farm, um, and I think the results they are seeing are obviously what's driving that. It wouldn't make sure. sense. People aren't going to just spend money to spend money. So the performance we're seeing in the field has obviously been spectacular, and that is that is what's driving um, driving the sales. And you know when you look at the data, Brian mentioned this is not side by side one year data in one location. We're talking hundreds of data points across the midwest in various conditions over multiple years that we're seeing this so it's that consistency that folks are seeing And in you know we talked earlier about you know using seed treatments later and earlier and i feel like in some cases the, you know the dry and wet year conversation with fungicide comes in Heck, even just a week ago, the conversation has shifted from, you know, I'm not going to use a fungicide because it's really dry and I'm not sure what my yield is going to be too. we got a rain and, okay, now I'm going to use it. Um, The data points we see in dry versus wet years indicate we get a very good consistent return, whether that's a 100-bushel yield environment or a 200-bushel yield environment. We're getting a really good ROI. Uh, And so I think that that has been what has sold a lot of folks on, on the fungicide piece. Sure. The other thing I'll say to that is, is,
0: you know some of these some of these products we were looking at 25 years ago we're still using them today. So yeah. there's some some of these original products that I was working with with triazoles back in the day are in Miravis Neo or Triver Pro fungicide. Uh, so we're but we stacked additional sites of action and additional active ingredients that have specific benefits like longer residual or more broad spectrum or this
3: plant health. Right, right. So you mentioned um, I guess specifically to corn which is. We're, we're pushing that right now. Uh, you mentioned kind of that VT that to R1 uh, application, which, which is what as we as a company are, are, are pushing out there more often than not. Um, why are you choosing that, that timing? You want to give it? I know you've got another 200 slide presentation that you could pull up. Uh, but, but tell me the, the 30,000 foot level view of, of why you're choosing that, that timing right to, to pull the trigger on that uh, multiple motive action product.
0: Yeah, so if you look at from that VTR1 time frame, from that point over the next 30 to 40 days, a plant needs a lot of energy. So it needs green tissue mm-hmm. and, and doesn't need to lose any to foliar diseases. And it needs a lot of water uh, to fill to, for pollination and for early grain fill. And that is what we can help with from a plant health standpoint, right? So if you look at return on investment or the, the return to fungicide, bell curve, uh, that's going to be the peak, the key return on investment. Isn't that VTR1, maybe into R2 is going to be your highest return on investment? And it's not to say you can't get a benefit from an R3. Say, if you had a late southern rust outbreak come in, you still can get positive return on investment. But if I'm going to pick one time when I look at all of the data, if I'm going to put one timing on corn, it's that VTR1. And and at that point, you got the opportunity if you want to pair that with something like a foliar. Uh, nutritional mm-hmm. and you have that capability to do that maybe even insecticide uh, you would have that capability to do that at that time
1: too gotcha Gotcha. Not only is that time frame when those kernels are getting patched together and we're getting good pollination and all that, but that's also coincides with when a lot of our key diseases are starting to roll in too. So and a lot of that'll depend on weather and how much, you know, southern rust when we get pushed in from the south, things like that. But that's where we get a good residual on and you can actually push us through a, a pretty good portion of the grain fill period and keep mm-hmm. that upper third roughly of what you want in the in the canopy healthy.
3: Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned some of the disease. I think we've kicked around some of the diseases. I can't remember which ones we talked about before the mic came on or versus after the mic came on. But tell me in corn with that VTR one, what are the main diseases that that you're targeting? And I assume you're. I, I guess to tag on to that, um, and I don't think you said the word when you described uh, the the three mode of action product. Um, but you hear the word curative. So tell me your your thoughts, and then uh, kind of weave that into uh, what diseases I guess we're targeting from a from a from that BTR one application.
0: Yeah. So let's start with the word curative. Yeah. We could first. Go for it. So I, I get really nervous about that word yeah. a bit <laughs> because in a lot of cases, um, when I think about curative, I think, oh, I see the disease. Right. Now I'm going to make a fungicide application. I'm going to kill the disease, that lesion, and I'm going to turn that area of the leaf green again. And that's not the way these fungicides work. So can a curative, typically we're talking about a triazole side Mm -hmm. of action, Uh, can it stop the development of the disease, progression of the disease? Yes. In a lot of cases, the right fungicide on the right disease will stop that progression. But are you going to turn that lesion, that yellow area, that discolored area of the leaf back green again? No, it's not CPR. So uh, I get a little nervous about about curative, and that's why I, I'm more to try to be on the preventative side, to be on yeah. the front side of the application, um, and before diseases really get rampant. So more in that VTR one from a timing perspective. Uh, so that's what where I'm at from from that on sure.
3: curative. Sure. Yeah, no, and, and that makes a lot of sense. And I guess just the logistics, I guess, can catch up with us, right? At that, if you wait for, you mentioned Southern Rust as, as kind of one of the diseases that you're trying to to be preventative. Um, if all of a sudden you go out there and see a whole bunch of a Southern Rust and it takes you however long to get a plane lined up, acquire a product, and and get it put on, or, what, or however you're applying it. Um, it may be too late, I guess. You know, you may have missed your
1: window for that major economic return on and that product. You asked what key diseases we're focusing in on, and, and they would predominantly be southern rust, northern horn leaf blight, um, gray leaf spot, and now tar spot would probably be uh, the fourth one coming in. So there's, the, there's other diseases out there, obviously, but those are the main four key fungal pathogens we're really focusing in on. And, you know, what Brian mentioned, it's, it's interesting, you know, we've talked about this before, how kind of the fungicide message of multiple effective modes of action um, is sort of, it's sort of similar to how we talk about herbicides in some cases where you may see a single AI that's doing something um, and helping prevent or take care of one pathogen, but you've got to bring in another lens and stack them on top of each other to see that full effect. So that's, that's an interesting piece we've talked about before of how those play
0: into one another. Yeah. And so the disease complex, if you think about gray leaf spot, northern coral leaf blight, and now tar spot, All three of those diseases will overwinter on crop residue, uh, corn crop residue here in in the state of Missouri. So those are ones that we know we're going to have the potential for each year. Now, does the environment, moisture and temperature line up that they show themselves? Um, and, And trust me, I think we're still learning a lot about tar spot. Uh, you see yeah. it in your world there, Adam, in Northeast Missouri, and I got to admit that's probably been one of the drier areas yeah. that uh, of the state. And yet here we got tar spot show up in the last week there. Right. So um, the, I think we've got a lot to learn there. Now southern rust's got to blow in, right? right? So we'll see what the with the winds do out of the south and whether that brings it up here.
3: Well, with tar spot, you just you just said it. We have it now. It's not a. It's it's just endemic now. I mean, it's just and and we had it too. Honestly, we had it two years. We weren't <clears> talking about it as much two years ago. But we had it two years ago, and now we're rotating back to some of those same fields um, in in certain parts of the state. So it's just there, um, and there may be weather condition years where it blows up and it's a huge deal. And there, but but I can tell you that from now forward, you're going to go find it every single year. I mean, it, it just it's not. I don't think it's going to go away. So yeah, we used to be
0: a kind of a three disease complex in corn uh, with gray and and northern and southern rust, now we're probably a four disease complex with tar spot definitely being a part of that. Um, And and early data would show that uh, that's where you really have a benefit when you stack some of these sites of action and newer chemistries on the marketplace as far as performing against uh, tar spot. So we've got a counterpart that we work with in Wisconsin where there's a lot of tar spot pressure in that geography. And uh, for them, it's about what he calls managing the crash. Because sure. tar spot's going to take you take it over your corn with the right environment, and you're just trying to slow the crash down, and it really takes high-performing products um, like dry right, Pro fungicide, Miravis Neo fungicide,
1: to help slow that, that, that onset. I can't believe you haven't said it yet, Brian, but Brian's magic agronomy answer to most things is it depends. And, <laughs> and that's so true because a lot of this is it depends on when diseases come in. Um, the susceptibility of the hybrid or variety it that you are be using so. to that disease is a big key point. It's, it's kind of how we, you know, we talk about Saltrow and use as a seed treatment for um, SDS, and you know, that coincides with what variety you're using. You know, these, these are complicated systems we're trying to approach. Um, so it's it's not just one thing. It's It depends on when things are coming in and attacking that plant and, uh, the right product choice.
2: I think, I think you guys brought up a good point in the fact, um, hard spots here now, it's just like you can't go and you won't find a resistant water waterhead plant. Right. And so that's why we've adapted and our herbicides that we talked about seeing it grow more. We've started stacking stack multiple modes of action to be able to fight that. And so tar spot, we're still in the learning phase of that, but, um, again, we're stacking, we're stacking those modes of act, different modes of actions in our fungicides now, building that same um, benefit, so that as we learn more about tar spot, we can try to be on the forefront. Uh, you know, I know that I've said it, and I know that you guys have said it. When it comes to weeds, it's not don't kill the weed, kill the seed, right? Kill the seed before it comes up. That's um, it's obviously different when it comes to most of our diseases, especially like southern rust blows in and such. But with tar spot, like we mentioned living on the crop residue that's there in the field um you know as we learn more we may have the ability to um be more preventative on some of the, on that disease um you know as long as weather patterns um come around so that's where some of these first of products as well and just getting more data on it is going to be beneficial
3: yep um- yeah, and I appreciate Brian uh, talking about managing the crash because that'll make everyone sleep really, really <laughs> nice tonight. Now so. Remember, I said that <laughs> was an episode of Tar Spot in Wisconsin. <laughs> not necessarily
0: talking about Missouri in that case, but
3: we'll see. Yet, right? Yet. Um, so let's uh, let's switch to soybean, I guess. Um, so, and, and I know, I think you've already you've already said kind of that that R three timing um, on soybeans. Uh, I assume possibly similar answer here, but uh, but give me the why on that that timing on that soybean application with a with a modern soy fungicide product as well.
0: Yeah, so one great thing about soybeans is, I mean, they are an overproducer of yield. So if you think about it at R three, R four, the number of blooms and pods that are going to be on that soybean plant is is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, uh, from that point forward, every little stress <laughs> event that they occur, they start aborting some of that yield, those blooms and pods. And so really what we're trying to do at that time frame is make that plant as stress-free as possible, stress-free from insects, diseases, environment stress that we possibly can. So we have a we have less abortion rate that will increase yields. So that's really we're timing that R3, R4 when you got your maximum number of fruiting bodies or yield that's gonna be on that plant. And from that point forward, we want to reduce stress. So a foliar fungicide recommendation there, want to make sure that we're targeting diseases that we get in our local geography. Things like frog eye leaf spot, uh, cercospora leaf blight, uh, uh, Septoria brown spot, target spot, which is a relatively new disease that your crop track folks have identified over the last few years here in central Missouri. Um, And make sure that we have a fungicide choice that's very active on those diseases. And then again, oh, by the way, if we can bring in plant health into that perspective, it just increases our consistency of performance. So that's kind of timing and what my mindset goes. Mm-hmm. A recommendation there is going to be like a Miravis top fungicide or maybe a Miravis neo fungicide uh, to protect against those diseases, offer you that plant health. The thing don't forget in that soybean market space is to also couple that with a good insecticide because uh, most of our insect pests are mobile. They're driven by UV, so greenness. And when you've done a good premium fungicide application on soybeans we hope those beans are greener and they're going to be an attractant to those insects so they're going to maybe even drive some insects into those fields gotcha. so making sure we protect it um, with a good insecticide something like an indigo ECX, new brand that we looked at, at the grow more sites last year mm-hmm. um and now it's on the market this year gotcha.
1: i'm glad you brought that up ryan i, I had two watch outs i was going to add to the the soybean fungicide space and one of them was insect. Insecticide usage, um, that was one of the things when I first came on to and I told Brian, I was like, I didn't really believe in it. Um, and he told me, just look at the data, separate it out. And we have experimented with this at grow more sites and um, the the bump is real. So uh, it is there, always paired with a good insecticide. But also um, the other thing in that time frame, that that, that blooming time frame, we got to watch out for what some of these late applications of herbicides might do to to our crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we see pretty good um, reductions with with late post-timed um, herbicides um, paired with our fungicides. And sometimes we get calls of, hey, why didn't our fungicide work? And we go through the list of what they used and we're like, well, this was off-label. This was at, done at R3 altogether. We just wanted to make one pass. And you, what you may have lost in your late herbicide application, you might have gained back with your fungicide. So we have to make sure that we're we're doing things the right way and we're not, not getting off-label and we're using the appropriate products. That's yep. going to be a watch yeah. out
0: this year. Sorry, Cameron, go ahead
1: and then I'll
0: ask my question. Yeah, so it's, to me, that's going to be a watch out, especially this year. When you look at the lack of moisture we've had in a lot of cases, we haven't got a lot of bean development. We haven't closed the row on a lot of these soybeans. And now that we've gotten some moisture here over the last week or 10 days in some places, we're going to see potentially a late flush of weeds coming on. So understanding what stage those soybeans are in, can I legally spray a herbicide or not, um, and, and what impact that may have to the yield. Those beans. Yeah,
2: I, I'm glad I let you go ahead and say that, Brian, because that goes directly into my quote. What I was going to say in com- my comment and question is, is as we think about more and more guys are planting soybeans early and they're also changing the maturities because they're trying to differentiate themselves from yield with soybeans being photo, um, you know, being photosensitive and that's what flowering that's changing. What I've noticed, and I was talking with Scott Wilburn and a couple of other agronomists, is you can kind of see a sense of change in when stuff is blooming compared to what we've been used to, right? And so we talk about our fungicide timing, R2, R3, you know, to a certain degree, we've always just said, thought to ourselves, hey, at least in central Missouri, that's End of July, 1st of August is kind of when that's, well, now we're finding beans that are already R2, R3 now because of some of these shifts and stuff. Well, guys are used to, hey, I can still go out and hit my second herbicide spot because I don't like those pigweeds standing up or I don't have a full canopy. I got weeds coming out. Well, as we start making shifts of soybeans and managing them differently by pushing them early, that's going to affect our decisions on when can we run these herbicides and fungicides and be able to not directly impact our yield. So, no, those are great comments.
0: Yeah, just on that, Cameron. So we planted our April 17th planted soybeans um, in the ILO Grow site. And we've we're at R two about a week ago. So we made we do a timing study on our fungicides just mm-hmm. to just to confirm as, as genetics change. Are we still at that sweet spot for that R three timing? And we made our R two fungicide applications about a week ago on some of those plots. So yeah, that time frame's a little different, Cameron, than maybe we think about late July. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Yep.
3: Yeah. And you're spraying a different looking soybean probably this year than what you <laughs> Absolutely. typically are. I mean, you would like some of them, you're just, you drive by. I guess you do the old drive by agronomy and uh, you wouldn't call them R2 probably from the road. I mean, they just don't look like, nope. they, they look like a vegetative soybean.
0: Well, you know? like most of mine are in 30 inch rows or all of mine are in 30 inch yeah. rows. And again, I don't believe I've got some plots that are ever going to close this yeah. year. And so they're always going to be thinking vegetative because sure. they're ever close the road yeah. as I drive by. Right.
3: Yeah. Right. Um, so I got a couple more questions on the, on the, on the, uh, on the fungicide front. Um, do you guys have a preference or, uh, talk to me about your kind of thought process of process of application method a little bit, um, that a lot of these products get applied from an aircraft, um, now, whether that's a helicopter, an airplane or a drone now, um, we do apply a, a number of soybean products with with a ground rig, uh, but just kind of um, don't bash on one or the other, I guess. But kind of tell me what your thought process is, um, and uh, if you're okay with some of those lower uh, water use rates on a fungicide product.
0: Yeah. So can I use my magic agronomy answer? It you depends. Can use it, yeah. <laughs> it depends. Uh-huh. So and the reason why I say it de- depends, Adam, is if you got a 30 acre field, it's got hedgerow on three sides and a power line on yep. the four side. Uh, I don't want to ask an aero applicator to try to make Correct. a p- pass in that field. So if it's soybeans, for example, we're probably going to try to get a ground rig in there. Mm-hmm. If it's corn, I'm going to, you know, is it a drone application for an example? Uh, maybe that would work better in that situation. But there's there's pretty well established minimums that are they're stated on the label as far as carrier volumes. On aerial application, we wanna see at least two gallon of, of water to the acre and, and more if possible. And if we're, we're running out there at a ground rig, I'll be frank, if I'm running out there with a ground rig, in a lot of cases, I, I wanna be at that 20 gallon of water to the acre if I possibly can. Coverage is key. Whatever you can do, to get me the best coverage is what i'm after to make sure the fungicide and insecticide are
1: going to work the best so that's why it becomes it depends gotcha yeah, absolutely and at some of the stuff we've done i know at the Growmore site last year and the year before i've um, had the university spray uh, some fungicide applications with their drone And they're running two, three gallon of water, obviously out of that. So I had some questions, you know, is it gonna act kind of like we we see from a a helicopter or what, Uh, but they sprayed a product uh, last year called sodium chlorate, where basically we were burning leaves tissue and kind of seeing what kind of coverage we got even in corn. And I was relatively impressed with how deep Within the canopy we got and the coverage we got down there, so I think you know obviously speed comes into that beyond moisture. Um, Dr. Bradley I know has done some research on it now or starting to, so there's a lot more data to come there as this technology gets advanced. But I, I think that there's there's still some questions, but there's good reason to believe that these products can work coming out of uh, multiple different ways. Yeah,
3: yeah, agreed. I like it. I wish we hadn't wouldn't have had. I wish we wouldn't have brought up the "it depends" thing uh, and reminded him of that. Before I had to, I hear it every than, day. I know, I know. Me too, but it, it's a lot easier if it's black or white, right? Um, <laughs> what? Uh, so let's talk about kind of the the stay green a little bit because you kind of hear that and see that um, out there in the in the countryside. Um, tell me what your thought process is on um, maybe lengthening out that
1: dry down period of whether it's corn or soybeans. What are you referring to, in terms of like um, just plants staying alive longer in the season, or like yes. green stem issues with soybeans, or any of that? Both, well, I guess, if you want to address both. I guess I, I'll go. I had actually the question the other day presented to me about green stems and soybeans. Uh, yep. The grower was concerned about you know harvestability and yep. how chewy those beans were uh, last year with his fungicide application. But what he didn't talk about was the uh, the bump in yield that he got. And I will just say that it's not. <laughs> it's easy to point fingers at the fungicide because obviously they can play a role if you are improving the health of that plant and keeping it alive longer you run the risk of having more green stems but at the same time it's also variety sensitive and it's also dependent upon the moisture or the dry down conditions in the fall too so if we have a rapid rapid dry down period all of a sudden that plant can't catch up you might have some chewy stems so it's multifactorial and in the case where you're trying to maximize yield usually in my opinion the bump you're getting in yield is well worth slowing the combine down for a little bit in one of those chewy places but it's kind of complicated because it's not just a one size shoe that's all in terms of what you're going to have with with green stems on soybeans at least
0: yeah and that's a good point you say soybeans at least because it varies by crop a little bit right so uh i know some of the growers that, that i work with and, and retailers they haven't used fungicide on corn for an example before mm-hmm. and they're used to seeing what their corn plant looks like with a with a mature ear or dry ear and and that's their their key when they start harvest Versus then when you start putting a fungicide on there, especially one that has long lasting residual, one that performs on diseases in plant health, you may actually start looking at a little more green in that plant, but yet have a mature ear. So if you're mm-hmm. using just color of the plant to dictate when I'm ready for harvest, sometimes that can change. If you haven't used a fungicide before we see that in wheat also quite a bit. Um, now the way some of these intensive wheat management guys are managing the wheat, maybe a couple fungicide applications and, and nitrogen levels, they may still be delaying some harvest, Uh, seven days or so uh, which can be an impact for us that we try to double crop soybeans behind but to your point earlier Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you look at the yield advantage to doing that
1: there's there's quite the advantage for sure well and on corn too i'm in my former life i remember my goal was i wanted a brown a brown shuck on a green stalk okay and so i wanted that and i had growers that were wanting to harvest at 24 percent or more moisture in some cases um, and, and the starch packing doesn't stop whenever a uh, black layer hits the old rule of thumb. It, it can continue in and all the way, you know, later in the season. So the, the plant stays alive, alive longer. And we have a better chance of actually packing starch onto those kernels. And obviously if we harvest a little early with higher moisture, you know, you're not going to have any of that, what they call phantom yield loss towards the end. So, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a complicated system, but, uh, there's reasons why you want to see plants green at the end of the year too.
3: Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. I wouldn't argue with that at all. Um, and you mentioned it, too, a little bit about the kind of the the trait or variety differences. I don't know if you wanted to mention that, Cameron, because I know you've looked at a lot of that. But um, that's kind of interesting from from what I've seen, I guess. It's pretty interesting in looking at the differences in um, variety by fungicide. You want to talk yep. a little bit or any of you guys can talk about it, but I know Cameron's looked at it.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, we've, we've done that. This will be going on our fourth year of doing that for at least our more corn and more soy in-house varieties of just um, have a replicated trial where we have our varieties out there with and without fungicide. And there's a there's a huge swing between just varieties and how they interact with fungicides based on the year. Um, and so you can go from anywhere from having no difference to you know 10 to 15 bushels on corn just within varieties and then same on soybeans. So, you know, like Brian said, it depends on the weather pattern, but you know, it also depends on your variety on how those are going to impact. And so, you know, we, we think about, you know, not very many guys that actually print seed guides anymore. Most of that's all digital and we've got, you know, your ratings of your gray leaf spot, your, all of those disease ratings, right? Well, that also, just the genetics, the background genetics that are in these plants have a functionality of how they're going to interact with these, with these um, fungicides. And there is a huge difference between which one it is and how well it interacts with the fungicide to
1: um, stay healthier longer and also yield better.
0: Cameron, I'm glad to hear you guys say that, that you're doing that work, especially on soybeans. A lot of seed companies can give you that information on corn. Um, But I think it's definitely something we need even on soybeans. And I'm so glad to hear that you guys at MFA and your more
1: soy line are able to provide your customers with that type of information. That's good feedback. Yeah. And I know, Cameron, uh, like, again, going back to my former seed days, one of the challenges was some of the more aggressive hybrids we had always usually, eh, not in every case, but some cases they had weak stalks and weak roots later in the season. And they were susceptible to going down early. So one of the ways we can manage and maybe get a grower to use a more aggressive hybrid who's running to shoot for the moon is if you incorporate a fungicide application and you're trying to in- increase your nitrogen usage or whatever and you're, you're managing for success um, harvesting early whatever the case may be but you can incorporate a fungicide and help mitigate some of that risk into the year.
2: Yep absolutely I mean that just goes back to us you know trying to you have a cropping plan, right? And so when we go into the year having a cropping plan and having an idea, I mean, there's a reason why it's called a plan because it can change, but having an idea of, hey, I'm going to go with this variety because it's aggressive and I want to, you know, try to shoot the moon, but I know that if I'm going to go with this one, I have to budget and make sure I'm planning for a fungicide on, on that acre. And so I can't I can't fault that one because i we know that we're going to see results with this variety and this fungicide compared to Maybe we have variety Y that, Hey, if the year, year is right, we can get away without a fungicide and have no issues. Um, but we know variety X absolutely needs a fungicide no matter
0: what.
3: Yep. Yep. That's good stuff. Like I said, I thought it was good to bring it up just cause we, we talked a little bit about those varietal differences and um, you, you know, I know in the industry you think you, we know that corn is not corn and beans are not always beans. Um, but again, but the drive-by agronomy thing, it's not always <clears throat> super apparent as you're driving up and down the road. So what do we miss on the fungicide front? Because I'm going to do the same thing I do to lots of folks, which is which is ask you kind of the new products uh, question and when you're coming out with a new herbicide mode of action to help all of us, right? Um, <clears throat> that's, that's a joke. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, because we were chuckling. <laughs> Uh, but I guess before we get off of fungicides too far,
0: um, is there
3: anything that we kind of missed or didn't cover in there?
0: One thing I would mention, and Adam, you mentioned it earlier, is if you look at the date on the calendar or the development of the crop, whether it's corn or soybeans in Missouri, we're getting into a pretty important time frame for making a fungicide application. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to be having that conversation with your your supplier, with your MFA location, uh, to they are working to get maybe aerial application to come into the area and they can get you on that list and, and make that
1: application happen. So it's, it timeliness is, is key right now. Yeah, I'm glad Brian brought that up because that's exactly what I was gonna bring up. I've had several conversations with with some MFA location managers in the last couple of weeks that were worried about if this cuts loose, being able to schedule everything timely. It's, these planes aren't always in the same exact location they need to be mm-hmm. when, when a grower may want it. So I think communication is key as it is with everything in life.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just the logistics of that, I guess, you know, a lot of those aerial applicators don't live there, right? They're following that crop progression throughout the Midwest. And so if you don't catch them at the right time or while they're there, you're moving on to a different supplier and they may have a different lead time. And it gets it gets complicated real quick in in that world. So absolutely. okay, Um, let's talk a little bit about new products. What do you guys have kind of in the pipeline or coming out in the next year or two? that's yeah, one
0: of the things you're allowed to talk about that you're allowed to talk about <laughs> or that you're not allowed to talk about i'm good with that too. well uh, <laughs> thanks for that reminder cameron <laughs> we'll yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know one of the neat things about working for for syngenta is innovation is part of our core and okay. and bringing new products to the marketplace and that was that's evident when you start thinking about the grow more sites and, and part of the reason we we initiated the Grow More sites 10 years ago was to give customers the opportunity to see new brands before we asked them to pay for them. Yeah, I see them in, in performing a demonstration. So when we move forward, uh, we've had a recent history of things like Acheron GT herbicide uh, post-emerge on corn and, and Tendovo herbicide pre-emerge on soybeans and, and the Indigo ZCX, new insecticide for soybean uh, insect control. Big product that we're really looking at and, and launching, really, if you want to think about it that way, at the Grow More site. Um, and it is registered federally and it is registered in the state of Missouri and Kansas. We can speak to that. Okay, Cameron's, so I don't think we're going to get anybody in too much trouble here, but <laughs> new corn herbicide, pre emerge herbicide called Storin. Uh, really excited about it. Now, unfortunately, Adam, it's not new mode of action. Okay, so it's <laughs> it's not that that chemistry. By the way, when you if you've got that in your backyard, let me know. With yeah, your, with yeah. I'll, 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 I don't know that you'd be my first call. I'm oh, sorry. Darn, darn. <laughs> um, but but we're really so excited about what storing can do because yeah. uh, um, for our geography, we think about tough to control weeds, and especially if we think about water hamper, Palmer amaranth. Uh, very difficult and, and I believe the numbers around 40% of all growers say that they're struggling to control those weed species on their farm. So what can we do to be more consistent with that control or what can we do uh, to be longer control? We've got pretty effective lineup currently in corn herbicides, things like Acuron, Acuron Flexi herbicide, um, but Storm will take that level of performance to. to to the higher level and looking at longer lasting residual as well as more consistent control especially against those tough control weeds like like waterhemp so we're pairing multiple group 15s together uh, from a side of action perspective and pairing multiple group 27s together from a side of action so now you've got active ingredients that may fall on the same side of action but they have Different physical properties, so different solubility, different absorptivity to the soil, different half-life. So more consistent performance.
1: Um, that was we, what we've seen out of storing. And I'll add, if if we can pick up an extra, let's just say three to five percent or whatever of amaranthus control, uh, that may not sound like a lot to a grower or or anybody you know we work with on a day-to-day basis, but that can be a lot in a field. And when water hemp can produce, you know, millions of seeds. Uh, per plant, that's a big deal. Um, and when you start stacking those active ingredients on, we talked earlier about the difference per year in the physical properties of some of these chemistries. It's something we started talking a lot about what two years ago, probably um, when we started adding the two different Group 27s together that make Acuron. The difference in performance we get there is is next level. And so now when we stack that together with two different Group 15 herbicides together, we're expecting that same you know increase in level of control. So it's really exciting to be able to stack four different active ingredients together in the same. Manner. Yeah,
3: yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Sounds good. Um, anything else you want to mention that I mean I was, that's kind of further further out or something in the background that you guys are kind of excited about? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep asking until you get something. <laughs>
0: well, you know. There's a, there's a lot of companies that are always looking for that new mode of action sure. and just like Syngenta is. So yeah. I don't know that there's anything in the near term you're yeah. going to see there but we will continue to do our research and development just like a lot yeah. of other companies will yeah. and we're excited about new product concepts as they come forward and
1: hopefully the Grow More site will be the first place you'll get to see those products. I don't know how important you think we are but we're not. <laughs> that, was, that was a great yeah, it was. <laughs> it
3: was. No, I I like it, guys, and, and I appreciate that. And and we as a retailer see those kind of things in a company too. I mean, we can kind of see through the through the lens a little bit and and see that uh which which companies are working on things, and um, we know that you guys are. So appreciate that. We've had industry. something
1: every single year I've been here to talk about that's been new. Absolutely, which has been a lot of fun to grow more sites. It's always fun to have something new. And, and be able to have that conversation just because it shows that innovation piece Brian's talking about. Sure.
0: Well, then the, the Gromestock really gets, allows us to dial it down specifically. Okay, do you want to use the new storm corn herbicide, as try to use it as a one-pass option, or based on your weed pressure and your weed density, do you need to look at it in a split-shot option or a two-pass program, which in most cases, two-passes overlapping residuals is going to be more effective weed control. So but it allows us locally to look at, how to utilize these products and, and do that like yourselves, your re- your retail locations. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. Guys, what else, what did we miss today? Um, I Before we get too far, I just, I just wanna say, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to to come in and talk to us today. To appreciate the partnership that we have with Syngina. Uh Wouldn't ask you in here if we didn't uh, really respect that. So definitely um, thanks to you too. for for coming in today so
0: well appreciate the invitation uh enjoy your podcast uh both brandon and i get a lot of time up and down the road it's really (laughs) fun to listen to i always learn a lot
1: yeah good certainly appreciate it looking forward to hearing my voice and seeing how bad i sound
0: (laughs) 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 oh that's 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 not
3: true because yeah if people are willing to listen to me more than uh, for more than 15 seconds uh, i think you're going to be in good shape cameron you got anything else I appreciate you
2: guys joining on with us today and the partnership that we have.
3: Yep. Well, thanks again to you guys. Thanks to everybody that took the time to listen, and we'll talk to you next episode.
2: Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.